Well, normally I talk to film students, and the average age is distinctly lower. Uh, <laughs> but it's okay, I'm, I'm, I'm adaptable. Normally I, I simply try to pass on the wealth of knowledge and information I have learned from the, one of the greatest teachers one could have over 30 years. I started with Kubrick on Napoleon, thinking maybe, oh, work with him for one year. Well, it turned out very differently. Napoleon was pulled by MGM. It didn't happen. Then the next thing in 1970, he was very much in love with a, with a novel called Dream Novel by Arthur Schnitzler, a Viennese uh, writer called by Sigmund Freud his alter ego. And, and all right, so I read it too. And great, great, great. So we first contract with Warner Brothers, fully signed and sealed. And then Stanley Kubrick pulled out because it was too difficult. It was a a story about uh, yeah, sexual fantasy and jealousy. In other words, something where everybody in the audience is an expert. And uh, so he, 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 he left this and we did Clockwork Orange. That was a, uh, my first experience, but that was much easier. It's a book written in the first person. It was a, what we call today a cut and paste job to turn this novel into a film script. And then I adapted what I had learned before. It has to do with data processing and planning and negotiating to the manufacture of a film. And uh, you know, people always say, I worked uh, with Stanley Kubrick for 30 years. Not true. I worked for Stanley Kubrick for 30 years. It's a very clear distinction. I had, I had my role and I loved it. I was not at all responsible for what you see on the screen, only for things and rights and what you get and what you need. Right. I was very lucky that I then, after his death, actually I was 65, developed a new profession. I grew into this over a few years and that's what I'm doing now, working at film schools. And this, the great joy of that is that I'm meeting young people who are far more clever and more intelligent than I am. And it's a tremendous privilege. I, I meet lots of young talent and uh, I try to help them. I just have more experience. I just help them and it's really wonderful. I work a lot in London and in Denmark and Germany. I even was in, in, in Miami once and in, in South America and whatever, so I do that. I also support this exhibition. This is now the 15th engagement. The last one was in Seoul, Korea. The next one will be Mexico City and then Hong Kong. So I do that and I work with Tushin publishers on various books. We have another one coming out maybe in a year or so on Dr. Strangelove, the one on 2001. Beautiful book, just came out. And I have seven grandchildren. I mean, yeah, I, I, yeah I'm, I'm really busy. I'm busy and I, I like it. And uh, yeah, and, and one day when life is over, I hope I'm, I'm getting out here in the middle of being extremely busy. <laughs> so, so now that's it. Now let's talk about Stanley Kubrick and filmmaking. A key part, and I learned this very early on, I learned this when I lived in New York. I was, a, by the way, a landed immigrant with a green card as a young man in New York. He then came back uh, with Dr. Strangelove and his three children and his family, and I visited them all the time because he was married to my sister. And uh, so, but I had my own job and I wasn't, never thought of working with him, neither did he. I mean, I just got to know him very, very well. He, he was an incredibly brilliant, strong man, very intelligent, very logical. I couldn't even be on his same level. The only area where I was at the same level with him was classical music and table tennis. Yeah? But other than that, other than that, not, not a chance in hell. But I loved it. It's fine. Anyway, I went back to Europe then after two years in New York, got married, we had a baby. 
And then in 69, oh, I stayed always in touch with him, of course, visited in London. He asked me whether I would join him to go with him for one year to Romania. That was Ceausescu, Romania, deepest communist Ceausescu. Knowing how much he hated to travel and to leave even, I mean, he hardly ever went to London, yeah? Uh, only for the dentist. You can see how strong his passion was to make this film. That's a very, very important thing, and I'm not joking. Yeah, that, that was necessary. He was a political beast. And you can see this topic in Pass of Glory, in Dr. Strangelove, in, even in 2001, right to the end. It was his one focus. It is the fact that we, as humans, are much more governed by our emotions than by anything else. You know, we may fancy ourselves to be governed by our intellect and knowledge and education and it's all good for the job from nine to five, but it's not for our major decisions in life. And here is the interest in Dr. Strangelove. Here is the interest in Path of Glory and in Napoleon. And you know, he, he was fascinated by this brilliant man. I mean, he was brilliant. He had an enormous charisma, was colossally successful. Imagine a general of the French army at 24. And then a few years later, he crowned himself emperor of France, was adored by the whole population, was even loved by people outside of France. And then he blew it. He blew it. Because when he was really tested, he failed on two accounts. He was unable to make peace with England. That should have been on his to-do list every day. And number two, when the Tsar broke the continental blockade, uh, which he was forced to uh, agree after he lost the war, he should have looked away. The Tsar had to do that. The Tsar needed the money. He had to sell his timbers and the stuff he, he could sell. Yeah? And uh, now, oh, no, ooh, 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 ooh. You know, now come the gorilla and, and revenge, revenge. And then came 1812, and it was the, uh, you know, the first Russian campaign, which was the beginning of the end. Basta. And how could somebody so brilliant be also so stupid? And nothing has changed. Just look, just look what happened last week in England. You know, I mean, this is not the 17 million voters. It is a hard two dozen people who are demagogues who uh, ab abuse their position and mislead people. Look at the reaction of after, from America after 9/11. Self-inflicted damage, and the end isn't in sight. You know, so the, look at the Nazis. Ay, 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 they exploded in midair and causing so much trouble and pain. So it is power alone is not enough. Statesmanship wisdom, intelligence, and love is necessary combined. These are great statesmen, and goodness me, are they rare. Yeah, that, is, or stateswoman, by the way, I mean, the, the, the sex doesn't make any difference. So, uh, yeah, well, that, that, is, that is Stanley's main interest. During all my working life, I observed this. I'm very much missing his running comment on what's going on right now in the world. Now, after I have given you my little speech, now see all these things in this gallery and have this in mind. He was a serious man, a very serious man. The, the, the Dr. Strangelove is a serious film. He used the humor to underpin the seriousness. And he was incredibly self-critical, very, very careful. For example, he did a wonderful scene which, uh, oh, in the war room, they have a pie fight. They throw pies at each other. He took it out. He said, oh, no, 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 I, I went too far. 
because uh, humor is only good as long as it underpins and the, the seriousness. You've got to stick to this. This is a serious film all the time. And uh, so, and uh, look, look at it from this point of view. If you don't know Dr. Strange or well worth seeing, for him, the greatest achievement in his life was his last film, Eyes Wide Shut. Now, it's a very difficult film, I know, um, for reasons I mentioned before. And uh, uh, somebody calling me, I have to kill this. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Ah, oh, Steven Spielberg. Hmm. <laughs> uh, sorry. sorry, I can't do this now. Uh, now, right, where was I? Right, um, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm terribly, terribly distracted. Uh, <laughs> So, Eyes Wide Shut. So he, he, really, he really loved this film. Um, uh, I was very, very pleased with it. And um, it, it is such an important film because, as I said in the beginning, we really know what we are looking at. And I spoke to a gentleman before who mentioned Ingmar Bergman's film about marital relationships. And that is much, much more serious. And, and Eyes Wide Shut is in, in, in comparison to that like a Disney movie. And, but, but I recommend it. If you have never seen it, see it. And if you have seen it and you didn't like it, you're wrong. Have another shot at it and realize how good it is. What's interesting for me is that this film was a huge success in Japan and in the Mediterranean belt. So but Portugal, Spain, France, Italy, great. Greece also and Japan. England, America, nothing. You know, a terrible result. Bad reviews. Really. How come? I don't know. I don't know. I got an, 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 a fax from the Japan office of, of Warner Brothers, from the Tokyo office, saying it is amazing what this film does. Couples are leaving the cinema holding hands. Well, okay. Uh, in Japan, this is obviously a very big deal. I spoke to a man in Rome, an expert, and I told him this. And he said, oh, it's clear to me. I said, what do you mean? It's, what, what, what? It has to do with Catholicism. What? The film has absolutely nothing to do with Catholicism. Ah, that may be so on the surface, but we are educated to deal with the topic of lust and sex and all the negative side of it and the abuse. You, Anglo-Saxons, you make dirty jokes about it. Well, not right. You know? So that, that's what your problem. That's why you are defending yourself. You're defending yourself against eyes wide shut instead of embracing it and looking into a mirror and seeing yourself. I, I'm not a psychiatrist, so I really I can't comment further because I'm, I'm an amateur. Yeah? But it's interesting. So now another thing that might interest you is um, the film 2001 A Space Odyssey, which is really uh, was a big surprise when it came after Dr. Strangelove, where Stanley goes, tew, 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 tew. Yeah? now here comes this film, and Stanley takes a big bow to the unknowable, to the unknowable, very important. And uh, people over 40 really didn't like that film. The film was rescued by teenagers. Stanley got love letters from 14-year-old boys. You just wouldn't believe it. I mean, in particularly young boys loved that film. Incredible. So, and the film was a huge success. And um, while, for example, the Catholic Church condemned Stanley for Lolita, they immediately gave him a prize for 2001. Stanley was very, very surprised indeed. And after his death, we were invited by the Vatican in Rome to screen the film 
inside the Vatican, they have a beautiful big cinema, 2001. I, oh, well, I mean, right, okay. I mean, one of us was very pleased. I mean, hey, that's a real stunt, right? So I, I, also, I also went there and, and a beautiful, good screening room, fantastic, and this enormous, you know, maze of rooms. And, and uh, there was a cardinal. I, I, I think it was a cardinal because he had a red gown on. I think that's... Uh, not an expert, you know, but he had a red gown on, very nice man, incredibly nice guy, spoke in Italian and then in English, and he said something i never forget. He addressed the audience and he said, you're going to see a film made by an agnostic who hit the bullseye. That's generous, right? That's really generous because, I mean, the film really is not a Catholic film. <laughs> I mean, it talks about evolution being part of the miracle of creation. Well, that very much goes against uh, Genesis 1, right? It didn't happen in seven days. I like to end this by, by two important lines, and I, I repeat this very often also to film students. One line is important, and that is said by HAL. HAL, H-A-L, the computer that runs the mission in 2001. HAL says, he talks about himself, foolproof and incapable of error, and we know the machine was already broken. Ah, that's what interests Stanley. <laughs> and, yeah, it's a bit hidden, but many things are hidden. Um, for example, the end of uh, AI, artificial intelligence, a wonderful film that then Steven Spielberg made um, after being totally authorized by Stanley to do so, because he, Stanley gave him the film. Um, at the end of that, you see artificial intelligence, robots, in other words, discovering this huge find that was in the ice, a little early generation robot boy, and they are downloading his brain, everything he knows, simultaneously to all of them. They're just touching each other. No explanation about that scene, but we know there is no hierarchy. There is complete, I mean, there is exactly no jealousy between all these machines. And it is the jealousy and the hierarchy that's going to kill us uh, in eventually. Stanley was a real optimist in daily life and when it came to making films. You know, I mean, he was careful and very self-critical, but he was optimistic, very pessimistic about the destiny of humanity. The second sentence is a bit lighter, and I love that. And I associate the sentence with Stanley, and that is, goes like this. A man once loved a one-eyed woman so much that he thought all other women had one eye too many. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed the exhibition. <laughs> okay.